4.8 feet per second for a distance of 66 feet. 4.8 feet per second for a distance of 66 feet. That's the rate, that's the length a basilisk lizard can walk on water. And they look good doing it. Okay, that's not really true. They look a little crazy doing it. You should really look it up. Google it, watch the video. Don't do it right now, do it later. Or if you prefer, go to someplace like Costa Rica where you can watch them whisk across the water in person. It may seem a little disrespectful to some of us here this morning, but the basilisk is also known as the Jesus Christ lizard. Obviously, you know where the name comes from. It comes from the account here in the gospel of Jesus walking on the water. That lizard, the Jesus Christ lizard, sprints across the water when it feels threatened by a predator. Jesus himself walked on the water to show his power, to show his power to help and to save when his friends felt threatened there in a furious storm. As Jesus walked out on the water of the Sea of Galilee, we see him reach out his hand to a doubting disciple. As we talk about the details of that account today, let's think about how a Christian answers doubt with faith. Last week, our gospel reading was the account of Jesus feeding over 5,000 people with what was essentially a sack lunch. The disciples, all the people there, saw an incredible miracle, and they were amazed by what they saw. However, the crowd then viewed Jesus as what we sometimes call a bread king, a king that would provide for their earthly needs, take care of their earthly lives. Those with the loftiest expectations of Jesus saw Jesus as the leader of the nation of Israel who would get them out from underneath Roman rule. Jesus could see into their hearts and into their minds that they were more interested in national concerns, political things, rather than what he taught them and what he showed them. And that was that he was the spiritual leader of God's people, the one that they had waited for for so many years. And he saw that they were preparing to take him by force to be their king. And so, he told his disciples to immediately get into a boat and make for the other side of the lake. Meanwhile, he had something important to do. He needed time alone, time away from people, time to pray to his heavenly Father, just a, a quiet time out on a mountainside. You might know what that need is like to be away from people and a time for prayer. Even if you don't, feel like Jesus, to feel the temptation that Jesus did as the devil came at him, throwing him the temptation again to rule over earthly things, just as he had done before when he told Jesus, if you bow down to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. It's not hard to imagine Jesus praying about that temptation. It's not hard to imagine him praying for the crowds, that they would see him for who he really was. It's not hard to see him praying for his disciples who are out on the water in a furious storm. At any rate, Jesus needed this time. He needed this time to pray before he would return to his friends. It was his return to them 
that inspired faith. And then there was doubt, and then there was faith again. It would be remarkable if we have never ridden the, the wave of faith and doubt like Peter did. And that would require us to be able to look into the eyes of the person sitting next to us and say to them with a straight face, oh, I have never wavered in my faith in Jesus. I, I have never doubted, not even a little bit, never. If you can do that, you have matched Jesus' trust in his heavenly Father. And that would be remarkable. This is what actually happens. The Holy Spirit gives us faith to trust in Jesus. So we trust that he's the son of, the son of God because of all the things that we hear about him in the Gospels. We trust that the feeding of the 5,000 is not just a, an exaggerated story, but it actually happened. We, we are certain that Jesus is true God. He's the one who created the earth and everything in it and the laws of physics which govern it and that he overruled all of those things and he actually walked on the surface of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, we believe everything that the Bible tells us about Jesus and we trust in him. And then... Life throws us a curveball and we don't know how to handle it. We're, we're threatened in our body or we're threatened in our mind or we're threatened uh, as far as our relationship or in a certain status that we have or, or in our security. Things are not good. And we start freaking out and we suddenly, where we should see clearly with the eyes of faith, our vision is clouded and we don't know what to do. Something like that happened on that boat. The disciples wouldn't agree, but Jesus' timing was perfect, of course. He arrived when that boat was being tortured by the waves, terrifying his disciples. This was perfect. This was perfect for Jesus to be able to show his power over all things once again and his love and his care for his disciples. 71 feet, that's the, the tiny difference in elevation between Mount Lemmon here and Mount Hermon, which looks down on the Sea of Galilee. 71 feet is all. But the floor of uh, the desert here in Tucson is about 2,400 feet or so above sea level, whereas the Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. I give you that comparison so that maybe you can visualize what it's like to have the cold wind from a high mountain pour down off the mountain and collide with the warm air over the lake. Can you imagine the, the thunderous crash and what that does to the water? And what it does to the boats on the water? The cliffs to the east of the Sea of Galilee are 2,000 feet high. Imagine the cool air coming off those and just dropping right down onto the surface of the water. Or the winds from the west as they shoot between the mountains and they provide furious storms that come up just like that without warning. This is the nature of that, that big lake, the, the Sea of Galilee up in northern, northern part of Israel. Some of these men were from the shores of that lake. They were fishermen on that lake. And so they didn't have to imagine all of this. They knew it. Maybe you can appreciate at least a little bit their fear. And maybe you remember 
uh, that they and Jesus had previously been in a storm on this lake. In fact, we sang about it in a couple of our hymns uh, already this morning. That was a storm that nearly swamped their boat. And they were stunned when that storm completely stopped when Jesus told it to. Here they were again, battling a wild sea squall for hours before Jesus came to them walking on the water. Because of the storm, it may have been hard to make out who Jesus was, that it was him. Uh, But fear was also clouding their vision. There he was, right in front of them, but they, they couldn't tell that it was him. And somehow it was more reasonable for them to think that this might be a ghost than perhaps their Savior coming to them after he had just performed this great miracle right in front of their eyes. But the storm. Isn't it true that, that there are trying, even terrifying times in your life when you should recognize that Jesus is right there, but you're so caught up in the distress that you're not even seeing Jesus in that moment. And then you remember that he is there. And faith surfaces, but then maybe maybe doubts appear again like they did for Peter. Once Jesus told Peter that it was him, Peter actually expressed faith in Jesus because he knew that if Jesus could allow him to do something that is normally impossible, then he would know for sure that it was Jesus. If he could walk on the water also, he would be convinced. How gracious Jesus was to provide the proof that Peter was asking for. The almighty Jesus in front of him, he himself doing something that is normally impossible, wasn't enough. The storm. Fear and doubt gripped him and started pulling him under. He doubted that he could remain on the water even though Jesus was right there with him. So doubt and faith and doubt. Storms on the Sea of Galilee are sudden and unpredictable and violent much like the storms in our lives that cause us to fear and even lead us to doubt about of God's protection and his care. So for us, there's faith, then there's fear, then there's doubt. Here we are in church, trusting in Jesus, worshiping our Savior, everything's good. But then we walk into a classroom, a new classroom for the first time, And it's scary. And we forget that Jesus is right there with us. Or we walk out of the doctor's office and into a new life that is going to involve lots of tests and treatments, and we don't know how that's going to go. But Jesus is right there. The conversation you're going to have with somebody is not going to be easy. I mean, you know it's necessary, but, but you're afraid of the fallout, and you don't know if it's going to do any good anyway. But Jesus is right there with you. It's our last day on the job because they let us go. Or we made the decision to leave, but, but how's all of this going to work now? And we 
become overwhelmed, might give in to fear, even though Jesus is right there waiting to hear our prayers. In so many of life's stormy situations, there, there is fear first, and then doubt follows. I'm facing this, and I'm afraid. Will God help me to weather the storm? Will he take it away? Is God really even there? It's in that moment that a Christian answers doubt with faith. Look at Peter. Faith that if it was Jesus, he could allow him to do the impossible. Doubt when he was allowed to do it. And then faith again as he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. So like a rolling wave, faith and doubt and faith. Faith in the face of our doubt brings us back to our senses. We remember then that that Jesus is right there. He could have just said the word and Peter would have been raised up out of the water and seated in the boat, but he didn't do that. Instead, he reached out his hand. He gave Peter the security of his hand in his, and then he pulled him out of his trouble. How awesome is it that God gives us a promise that looks an awful like, a lot like the, what we see there on the water? This is from Isaiah. For I am the Lord your God. I am the one who is holding on to your right hand. I am the one who says to you, do not fear. I myself am helping you. Remember that it's Jesus holding on to us in the midst of the fiercest storms of our life. Remember that he can stop the storm. He might do that for you. He might just calm it. He might make it cease entirely. It can also go on for a while, even though Jesus is right there with you. So I don't know how many days it takes in a new classroom for the waves to settle down, but I do know that Jesus is right there with you. And so do you. And I don't know what the doctor is going to say about your physical or your mental uh, situation. But I know that Jesus is right there with you. And so do you. I don't know how that conversation is going to go that you need to have. I don't know if it's going to go the way you want it to. But I do know that Jesus is right there with you. And so do you. I don't know in what ways the Lord is going to provide for you in this new life situation, but I do know that Jesus is right there with you, and so do you. There may be certain storms that kind of rumble throughout our lives, but, but even then, faith conquers the doubt and trust that Jesus' hand is in your hand, just like he was for Peter, and, and that he can pull you out of trouble. He's not going to let you sink. The presence and the power and the help that Jesus gave to his disciples caused them to, to respond by worshiping him. We do the same thing when we recognize Jesus for who he is and we put our trust in him and remain certain that he is right there with us. 
ultimately our Savior is going to grab onto our hand and pull us right out of this stormy world and into the, the calm and the peace of heaven where we will worship him eternally. No more days of being battered around by life's furious winds, but only the eternal calm that will come from being with our Lord and our Savior in heaven. We'll be there one day. We'll be there because Jesus paid for our sinful fears and our sinful doubts on the cross. He applies that forgiveness to us. He makes us perfect in his eyes. And so until then, then, as his forgiven friends, we will uh, entrust every stormy situation to him. If he was willing and he was able to live for us and to die for us and to defeat death for us, he is certainly willing and able to bring us through the worst the world has to offer. Answer any doubt you may have about that with faith. That's what a Christian does. Amen.